Hi, I'm Lucas James. And I'm Jordan Ross. And I'm AJ Casada. And we're the co-hosts of How to Scale an Agency. After scaling our own agencies to over $185,000 per month in sales and working with agencies doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue like Hawk Media and Neil Patel, we've made this show to interview the top digital marketing agency owners and highlight the fastest ways to scale your agency. If you'd like to join the best digital marketing agency community on the planet and let us help you scale, go to twiz.io to sign up today. What's up, agency owners? Welcome to another episode of How to Scale an Agency. I'm your host, AJ Casada, co-founder of Revenue Boost and co-founder of B2B Sales and Marketing Secrets, the number one Facebook group for B2B entrepreneurs. And today we have my friend, Mina Eliasson, who's built multiple seven-figure supplement businesses, founded Trivium, one of the top Amazon advertising agencies that I've been able to work with firsthand and to see that they're absolutely crushing in this space. And this guy is a machine. He's consulted over 400 brands, spoken on pretty much every major stage in the Amazon space, and it's been over 100 podcasts. If you're in the e-commerce Amazon space, you've probably already seen his work or heard of him. And actually, I'm really excited for today's episode because I actually got to work with me and his agency as he's a client of ours. And after seeing like what an incredible agency he's built and the team he's had, I, I had to have him come on the podcast to share his journey with you all. So yeah, really look forward to today's chat. And uh, yeah, Mina, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, man. I'm very excited. And, and uh, like you said, man, you've been doing some great work for us. I mean, yeah, ever since you started, like things have gotten significantly better on a lot of stuff, actually, like now that I think about it uh, with our sales, our like outbound, our email marketing. So I'm very grateful to have you on the team, man. Yeah, for sure, man. It's been a blast working with you guys and um, working on the sales and marketing side. And yeah, like like we were chatting before the show, just for the audience. So I've known Mina, you know, for the last half year or so, six months and been working with his team. I don't even know like how we got to start or his journey. So for me, it's like a just fresh perspective jumping in. Yeah, for me and also for the audience listening, I think before we get into some of the gold nuggets of how you scaled your agency, we'd love to just learn from like the beginning. How did you how did you get started? Even not even with the agency, but just what was your take into the entrepreneurial world? I think you went originally went to school for like engineering or something, right? Yeah, yeah. So I came to America in 2011. I uh, got my bachelor's in chemical engineering and chemistry, and and then I got my master's in industrial engineering. Graduated top of my class both times. Uh, worked up the corporate ladder. Had like a job in in like a um, new product development for like a major surgical devices company, and then moved to another you know company uh, because I had a better chance of getting a green card there and. It was like a boring chemical safety data sheet uh, writing thing. And and then I just kept, you know, going from job to job because like one job I would spend a year, year and a half, two years. And I would be like, if I spend another day in this, in this office, I yeah. think I'm going to kill myself. The first job, like where I was in new product development, you literally feel like you're like a hamster in one of those big mazes. Like they put you in and, and they put all these little games for you. It was a massive building. They had no windows. <laughs> it was crazy, man. The second job, I was literally stuck eight hours a day in front of two screens and I would copy paste like safety data sheet information and double check it. Like, you know who I am, right? You know my personality. Like I can barely sit still. Like I, I was at the barbershop yesterday. He's like, bro, he's like, I, I can see you have trouble sitting still. So I'm like, yeah, I can't sit still. Like I need to constantly be doing something. So then, you know, a couple other jobs and I worked up the corporate ladder. My last job was in construction and um, I was like, okay, we're hitting that two-year mark again what am I doing? I'm going to keep doing the same thing. I was on vacation and I was, you know, researching supplements and stuff like that. And my dad gave me the idea of like starting a supplement brand. And, um, I looked into it and I ran the numbers and I'm like, you know, actually I can make a supplement for like five bucks. Cause I was making it at home, like raw ingredients, but I never calculated the actual cost. 
And I'm like, it sells for 30 on Amazon. Like, that's a pretty big margin. Let's like look into this thing. And so that was September 2018. November of 2018, I launched uh, my product, like soft launch at an, uh, an MMA event. And then November of 2018, I was live on Amazon. The reason is between when I launched the product and going on Amazon, I tried to go to all of the different supplement stores in my area, all of the different gyms, and I was rejected 100%. Like in every single gym and every single store, they're like, nah, like uh, leave one here, we'll get back to you. So I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, cool. You know, I gotta, I gotta like, this is not working out. And um, I didn't know anything about e-commerce. So I got the supplement brand on Amazon and I became fully obsessed with Amazon because I tied me leaving my job and, and like the depression that I was in. And, you know, like if I make this work, like, you know, it's all like sunshine and rainbows. So I was like completely obsessive work 24 seven. Like I would wake up, I would be on my phone looking Amazon stuff. I would be in the bathroom looking at Amazon stuff. I'd be on the way to the gym, listening to an Amazon podcast, working out at the gym, listening to an Amazon YouTube video. And I just, you know, became very obsessive. Six months in, I was making 4k a month in profits after like figuring some things out and I got fired. And then I went all in. So I went all in on the supplement brand. I packed my shit, went to Egypt to save money because, you know, my bills were too high living in America. And uh, four months later, I was making 10K a month in profits after like reinvesting everything. I put a lot of money into ads, put a lot of money into reviews. And finally it was working. And so I moved to LA and, and uh, COVID hit. And then when COVID hit, I'm like, okay, I mean, I'm, I'm stuck at home. I started sharing everything that I learned from that journey of zero to 10K a month in profit uh, on my business. And I started sharing in, in all of the Facebook groups. I started get, getting on podcasts and uh, YouTube channels and just very tactically sharing my experience, not being a guru or anything like that. Just say, like, here's what I did. Here's what happened. You know, if you want to try it, this is what I would do. And this is what you should look out for. And I just did that across everything that I learned, you know, became a very big name in the industry. Later that year, I started speaking on stage. I was invited. I, actually, I wasn't invited to speak on stage. I harassed the owner of the event so I can speak on stage. Yeah. So he eventually let me speak on stage and I was approached by an aggregator. So there's this company, they raised like $300 million. They started buying small Amazon brands, not small, like they were actually doing between one to like 5 million uh, a year in profits. And they were buying these brands and they're like, hey, listen, like we don't want to hire an Amazon ads agency to run our brands. Can you train our in-house team? They like tested me on the spot and I told them this is exactly what I would do. They're like, okay, cool. Send us a proposal. I sent them a proposal on like how I would train their team and stuff. They're like, okay, cool. Like one more thing. We need to see that you can actually walk the walk. And so they made me run one of their brands. It was me and, and uh, I only had like one employee who was like a, my PPC manager, but I was like an expert at that point at ads. I've been testing like every single possible thing. So I was very, very experienced in it. And then four months in, they're like, we had six other agencies that we were testing and you beat them all out. Like they told me the names of the agencies. I was like blown away. I'm like, these are like eight figure plus agencies, like big, big names. Then I'm like, yo, what am I doing, man? Like I have a massive personal brand. I'm better than, than these agencies out there. I can add more value. Like between you and me, it was like clean cash. Like that one client got me 6K a month in profit and I was killing myself to make 10K a month, 15K a month on my uh, supplement brand. And a lot of that profit kept having to go re to be reinvested. I didn't understand like funding and, you know, capital funding, like from Wayflyer and stuff like that. So 
I just kept pouring everything in and I would make my side cash from consulting and, and, you know, thing like here and there stuff. So dude, this sounds like it's pretty aligned. Let's see, you know, what happens. And I took on like four or five clients. They were my friends and stuff like that. But each one of them paid like about a thousand. And I added another like 6k or so in, in, you know, net profit. And I was working maybe five, six hours a week on it. Cause I had someone who would do the work. I would check it and everything was good. And I'm like, dude, like, this is nice. This is, this is really nice. Like I'm finally taking home money. And the reaction to every client that we had was like, holy shit, like you transformed my business. And I'm like, I literally didn't do anything. Like I'm doing the most basic, like anyone who does Amazon advertising shouldn't do this. Like you just have been screwed over. Like, you know, and like a girl comes in, like uh, you give her like a flower and she's like, oh my God, you're the most romantic guy ever. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then it, she has like six ex uh, abusive boyfriends. <laughs> so it's almost like the same thing, literally like with, with all these like brands, you know, who, who are on Amazon, they're like, my last four agencies screwed me over. I'm like, well, all I had to do is just not screw you over. And, and we became the, the best experience. But anyways, like I worked relentlessly on, uh, on like our service and I'm a, a client, right? Because my team runs my brand and I knew what I wanted. I wanted better reporting. I wanted better communication. I wanted all of the stuff and I would force them to do it for me. And then I would create standards and I, I would roll it out to everyone. And then very quickly, we had like one of the best services out there. I started, you know, leveraging my personal brand and we now run about 130 something brands. Like uh, we have 130 something clients. I have uh, 60 something people on the team. That was all from middle of 2021 until now. So almost uh, two years, maybe in a couple of months, it'll be two years. Man, that's a lot to happen in a short time, but it's a really, uh, really awesome story. I didn't know that you actually came, came to America in 2011. So you grew up in Egypt, right? I grew up in Dubai. So I was born in, in Egypt. And when, when I was two and a half years old, my dad and my mom moved to Dubai. And that's where I grew up. Yeah. And then you, you went to America and you went to school there. Did you have like an inkling that you might eventually start a business or you really were just like stuck in a soul-sucking job and you're like, I got to find something else? That was it. It was the soul-sucking job. I mean, if you ask me, like, did you ever have like entrepreneurship inclinations? You know, when I was in college, like I, um, I was like a tutor. I was a private tutor. And then I started doing homework for people for money and uh, <laughs> things like that. So maybe a yeah. freelancer, uh, you know, uh, right. but like, I wasn't like one of those guys that's like, yeah, I have to have a, a business. I actually thought that all those people were stupid, which is like, I mean, thinking back, I'm like, I was so dumb for that. But I always thought like, oh, you're trying to do your own thing. You're trying to, you know, not work for a company. You must be like um, someone who doesn't want to work hard or, so, or someone who doesn't want to work up the corporate ladder. Like, that's so stupid. That mentality was ingrained. Like, there was only one path. That path is academia, like college, mas bachelor's, master's go to a company, work up the corporate ladder, and then you reach the top of the world. Like that was the only path that I could ever thought existed. And it took a lot of like identifying self-awareness, right? And identifying like, I have so many of these like uh, preconceived notions that I had to completely delete. So like a lot of things that my parents taught me, a lot of things like from being in a, in, you know, a Middle Eastern culture where they're like, oh, do this, don't do that. And, and then I come here and I'm like, okay, maybe I should learn from the people who actually have what I want. So then I would talk to, you know, successful entrepreneurs or what, you know, the guy who has the Lamborghini or, or whatever, you know, the nice car, the, the nice house that's working from his laptop, you know, doesn't work on Fridays, whatever. And uh, then I started learning from them and I'm like, wow, 
everything he's teaching me is the opposite of everything I've been taught. But everyone who's been taught what I've been taught looks like they're having a miserable life. These guys are having an amazing <laughs> life. Let's try something different. I mean, I, I already tried this other way, right? And it didn't work. I'm miserable. So let's try the way that to me sounds like crazy, but it's working for these guys. That's honestly like how a lot of it started. Yeah, totally agree with that. It's like, we don't just have to learn how to be an entrepreneur. We have to unlearn everything we're taught growing up because the world kind of conditions us just to be workers, right? So it's like, it's like on both ends. Same as you, I kind of, so I started working in construction and in uh, sales and sales management. When I was in college, I ended up dropping out of school to, to work full time. And how I kind of realized that like entrepreneurship might be a better path is because I would, I would, I met with like hundreds and hundreds of homeowners, right? I would just go into like, you know, to their house and talk to them and get to know about their life. And, you know, I just saw like, I lived in New York and in New York, New Jersey, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of wealthy people. So I met with a lot of, you know, wealthy people from all different careers. And I always saw like the people that were happier. Usually they had, they had a business or something of their own. And then like most people you could tell, even if they're wealthy, they weren't super happy. So I kind of also, same thing, like just observed from people around me that like, okay, there, there is a better way, you know? That's also another thing. Like when you keep seeing that pattern of like wealthy and happy business owner, wealthy and happy business owner, unhappy works, uh, you know, at, at a company unhappy yeah. is a CEO of a, like, you know, like as an employee basically. And you're like, damn, and I think one of the biggest things for me, like, which also like, you know, why did you get into entrepreneurship is my goal was to work up the corporate ladder and, and be at the top. Right. And one day I was at work and my boss calls me into her office and she's like, do you see yourself like in my position, AKA like running the company the next like five to 10 years? And I'm like, yeah, like, absolutely. Like, I would love to, like, that's my goal. You know, the shorter amount of time, the better. And then I was driving home and I was like, my life sucks right now. Like I wake up at 4.30, I go to the gym, I commute 45 minutes, I work for nine hours. Like if I became the boss, I would mm. probably have to work more. This is right. not the life that I want. And then that's when it really clicked. It's like, I just had painted this, this imaginary, like unclear path in my mind of like, uh, you know, I'm going to work the corporate ladder. I'm going to go up, you know, vice president, whatever, and then become a CEO. But then when it actually like, you're like, do you want this? And, and you're like, oh, no, like that's actually, that's not what I want because it like the, the title and, and the job and everything sounds great in my mind, but the actual like lifestyle did it. And so that's another thing that really changed the game for me. I don't know, uh, you know, if you do this too, but I wrote down exactly what my dream life looks like when I wake up, what I do, where I live, you know, the temperature, the, the view, all of that stuff. Once I had that very, very clear, like my exact, how my day looks, I'm like, okay, that's what I'm working towards. And anything in my life right now that's not serving that, I need to eliminate it or, or replace it with something that will serve it. And then once I start thinking like that, then it's, then it's like, okay, I'm getting closer to that life that I want. Not just like working up a corporate ladder that, you know, when you're actually going to get there, you're going to be like, okay, now, now what? My life is still miserable. I'm showing up to work. You know, I can't take time off because everyone depends on me sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. Man. Well, I think it's great that you realized it early, like same for me too, because a lot of people, they'll, they'll be in like their 30s or 40s by the time they're like, wait, I should do this a different way, you know? So definitely something to be grateful for that you had that, that insight early on. I did the same thing too, like really, really visualized what I wanted my life to look like. Actually, there's a lot in common with me and you. Like we, I started also in 2018, also kind of fell into an agency just by helping people around me that were asking for help based on what I learned in my job. So kind of organically fell into the game like you did. But yeah, same as you, I, I visualized and wrote down like in specific detail what I wanted. And I think everyone, everyone should do that because I think a lot of people say like, I want to be successful or I want to make more money or I want to have a great lifestyle. But like, 
you have to really get like specific with it, you know? Yeah, agree. Because a great lifestyle, you're like kind of chasing a feeling. It's like a very vague, you don't know what is a great lifestyle. But when you're like, yeah, yeah I want to be able to wake up at this time and not have to do anything until that time and then eat at this time and eat this kind of food and and that's prepared by this person and everything, like every detail is written down. You're, it's like KPIs. You have a very specific objective thing. You're like, okay, am I waking up at this time? Yes or no. Do I live in this place? Yes or no. And then, you know, the number of yeses is what percent you are to your like dream life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, like the level of how specific you are with it, it's, it's just like in business, right? Like with KPIs or OKRs, it's like the more specific the end goal is, the more specific you can see the path to get there, right? Because then you have something very, very clear to work towards and boundaries for the decisions you make. Because, you know, if you just have a fuzzy goal like most people have, then the path to get there is fuzzy because you don't even really know like exactly where you're going, you know? But yeah, man, I love that. So I think um, I think it's cool how you organically stumbled into what you do because I was going to ask if you saw yourself starting an agency, but it sounds like you built your own brand and people you started helping people or people started coming to you for help and then you were just like, hey, I could I could do this and get paid for it. Yeah, the funny thing is, man, I actually turned down like being an agency for a long time. I had friends who asked me to become an agency like a year before that I did it. Like they would go and work with this guy and they're like, yo, this guy like who owns an agency, he screwed up my account. You would do so much better. Like you should be charging people. They shouldn't even be in business. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want to focus on my brand and I don't want to get involved with like having clients and all this stuff. And so it took me a year. And then that like pivotal moment was when I had that one person, that one like aggregator. And they said that I beat everyone and they had money to pay for anyone. And I saw like what the work was like. And I'm like, okay, I got a little bit of the taste of the work. It wasn't bad. In my mind, it was like, man, you know, client work is just going to be constantly people complaining. But on the flip side, it wasn't. It was them being like, oh my God, man, you're great. You're great. Like, it's, so, it's such a pleasure working with you. Like you're doing such a good job. And I'm like, okay, so yeah, I guess like you could have like bad clients or good clients. And then someone told me, he's like, man, you, you'll never have bad clients if you choose the right clients to work with. And if you do have a bad client, you can just let them go. And I'm like, that's true. I, you know, especially being in like an agency, you're cash flow positive. So it's not like, oh, like I need to bring in this client. And I really like, I don't tolerate any, any client. We have a list of expectations in the agreement. If you talk bad or if you talk negative or anything like that, like we're here trying to make your brand better and we're, we're fighting against Amazon and we're constantly problem solving. You know, if you bring any sort of negativity or, you know, blaming or you didn't do this, you're uh, any of that stuff. Like if we did something wrong, we'll fix it. But if you're like constantly complaining or negative or something, I'm like, okay, listen, you know what? Maybe we're not the right fit. Uh, happily, like take 30 days, find someone else. Here's five different recommendations. Good luck. And, you know, just eliminate the headache altogether. Because why? Like, what's the point? And, and it's the same with like employees or coworkers or anything like, you know, those negative people just cut them out. Then your life becomes just all positive. Yeah, for sure, man. No, you're right. We do get to choose and it's it's totally not worth it. Like I think in the beginning days of starting my business, I found there's I found there's a difference between having like a scarcity and abundance mindset. Like in the beginning, it's like I just gotta get clients, so I'll take whoever. But then you realize that no, there's plenty of other clients out there. They need me more than I need them. And I know how to find them, right? So I noticed there's like you have to kind of make that shift that like you said, you're with the agency, you're cash flow positive. You it's not gonna suffer the business if you lose a client. You need what, like four clients. I was charging uh, like 750 to a thousand when I started a month. So I'm like, okay, four clients, th that'll cover my bills, you know, in including whatever cash I'm getting from the brand. I'm like, that's it. If I have four good clients, I'm not worried. I can, you know, take one client at a time. They have to be good. 
And when I would like talk to a client and, and right off the bat, like you can hear like in their tone, like they're almost like, well, how can you prove that it's Amazon advertising and not organic? And I'm like, okay, this already seems like it's going to be a, a battle. And so yeah. I'm like, yeah, you know, like, I don't think, you know, we're the right fit for you. And that's it. Do you know Right Hook Digital? Right Hook Digital? So D came up with the like uh, headaches per dollar metric. You always have to add the headaches per dollar. You know, you have a client and, and uh, they pay you two grand and it's zero headaches. And then you have a client that pays you three grand and it's like 10 headaches. You're like, that's way too many headaches per dollar. So that's also a metric like to consider when you're, when you're taking on clients is like, they're never worth the headache. At the end of the day, like I've done it before and I, and I always like, man, I regret this. I wish I, I uh, didn't take on this client. The agencies that do the best and grow the most are the ones that have excellent offers, great marketing, and great sales systems. Now, the customer acquisition process can be really hard to master. There's a lot that goes into generating leads, closing deals, building a sales team. Especially since our industry is so competitive and there's so many agencies and freelancers out there, it makes it really hard to stand out and grow and win you know, the clients that you want. Now, fortunately, we've created a free Facebook community with trainings, weekly live sessions, and tons of really valuable networking opportunities with six, seven, and eight-figure agency owners. You can find it here on Facebook at B2B Sales and Marketing Secrets. So right now, go to Facebook, do a search and type in B2B sales and marketing secrets. Or you can just add me on Facebook, AJ Casada, and find a link on my profile. There's also a free mini course inside on how to generate more leads, close more deals, and scale your agency. I highly recommend you join. It'll only take one minute. And if you ever need any questions or need advice, just email me at aj at revenueboost.net. So again, if you ever want to drop me a question, email me at aj at revenueboost.net. I love helping agencies and sharing ideas about how they can grow further. And again, go join our free Facebook community, guys. It's so valuable. We have great trainings in there, great posts, and tons and tons of content that we don't normally share with the public. So go to the Facebook group right now, B2B Sales and Marketing Secrets. Drop me a message once you're in there. I love to connect with our community members and check out the video trainings and the free course we have inside. See you there. Now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely, man. No, and that's a trade I've noticed. So we've interviewed, I don't know, probably over 200 agency owners on this show by now. And that's one common mindset I've seen every other successful agency owner we've interviewed share is that like they are very selective with who they take on because it's not just the, it's not just the money for the time. It's also like when you have a bad client, it just brings down like your energy, your team's energy. You'll be thinking about it, right? Like it occupies kind of your mental space. So it just, it just has a lot more cost than I think people realize. But I like what you said about how you identify a problem in the sales process, right? Like because you can kind of tell, like you can kind of tell around. It's, I find in the beginning, you know, it's, it's a little hard to tell, but after you have enough battle scars, after you've been through it uh, enough times, you start to be able to notice like the red flags. And I think a big part of it too is like gut feel. One of my mentors would always tell me that if it smells like shit, it usually is, which is a, a lesson that'll get you really far in business. It's the same with anything, employees, clients, whatever, right? But yeah, now it's like whenever there's any of that gut feel off, it's like you just have to trust it because it always ends up being right, you know? It's never worth the money. Totally, man. I'm with you there. Well, um, where the agency is now, speaking of clients, I'd love to know, because you said you're managing 130 brands at Trivium, right? Yeah. So what tips can you give around client management or account management at scale? Because I know a lot of agency owners, they get really stuck with like, you know, going past 10 clients and still maintaining like the quality and the consistency of service. So anything you can share around, around that side of things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's something that I worry about you know, FYI for everyone, like, uh, you know, we're at 130, we're trying to get to like 500, trying to be over eight figures. And this is the number one concern that I have 
yeah, obviously besides like, you know, employees being happy and stuff like that. But the number one concern is how do you scale and not end up like everyone else who lost the quality? From the beginning, I instilled something in everyone in the team. I said, you are fully accountable and you take full ownership of this brand. If their inventory is stuck in the sea, it's your fault because you should have been tracking inventory and you should have anticipated that issues could happen. And so ever since like, I started instilling that like, uh, full ownership uh, mindset to them, they've been getting better and better about, like, um, you know, about like, uh, taking full ownership and making sure like, anything that goes wrong is on them. A lot of times I notice like, a big part of like, bad service is like, okay, it's AJ's fault. Like, AJ, like, uh, our outbound is not working. Like, you know, the messages you're giving us is wrong. It's very easy to do that, right? Or I tell you, or you tell me like, oh, Mina, your outbound's not working. That's because your team is like not finding the right people. It's so easy to just throw the blame. When I'm like, you can never, unless you look at me and you say, I've tried everything possible under the sun in my full control, which guys, none of us do. We all know this, right? There's always a few more things that you could have done. And that's the whole purpose of like uh, full ownership. So number one thing is instilling that core value. First of all, my entire life changed when I started taking full ownership. I used to kind of blame life. Imagine like someone blaming life and saying, oh man, life is dealing with these hands. It's the stupidest thing ever. Or the universe. <laughs> like I just called my friend out the other day and she was something like, oh, the universe just throws me a curveball. I'm like, shut the fuck up. No, the universe is not throwing you a curveball. You need to take accountability of your actions because I'm seeing that it's your actions, not the universe. So that's number one. It's like a core thing. Nothing will beat that. I'm going to get into the tactical stuff like NPS and all this stuff, but nothing will beat that because like when you have someone who takes full ownership, they will work on Saturday to make sure that they didn't spend an extra dollar accidentally. And you can't beat that with an NPS or with a, you know, clientele dashboard or any of that stuff. So that's number one. I instill that in everyone in the team. Number two, we have an NPS. The easiest way to know if you're doing a good job or not is to ask people. So in our onboarding, the onboarding specialist will ask every week, how are you liking things? On top of that, the you know, manager, the ads manager, whatever, Amazon manager, will also ask once a week, are you okay with the communication style? How's the work so far? Eight times in the first month that we asked them. Then after that, it's going to be once a month. Now the onboarding session is out, the actual, you know, PPC managers in there, the Amazon manager, and he or she are asking once a month, is everything good? Are you liking the reporting? Is there anything that we can do to improve? So then there's a feedback loop. So that opens that feedback loop. On top of that, we send an NPS survey. We use SimpleSat, uh, S-I-M-P-L-E-S-A-T, SimpleSat. There's also Ask Nicely, which will cost like five times, 10 times more, and is more advanced, but SimpleSat is easy. It integrates with Slack, sends them a message. You can also do it with email. Sends them a message, says, please answer this two-question survey about how we're doing. And it's very simple. It's uh, how are you liking the service? It's like crying face, like a neutral face, like happy face, extra happy face, you know, like the five levels. And then comments if optional. And then are you profitable with our fee included? And then it's yes or no. That's it. And if they are profitable with our fee included and they're, you know, happy or extra happy, you're good to go. If you're, you know, neutral or negative, immediately it gets pushed to the team to jump on that. Because as you scale, you need to start prioritizing. So that's like, you know, one thing that helps you prioritize is who's unhappy, focus on those people. 
The ones that are happy and are scaling, okay, you're good to go. Keep up the standards. So that's helped me out a lot because unfortunately, sometimes people just don't respond. So then we move on to the next stage, which is the client health dashboard. It's a very simple survey that every employee needs to finish on Friday regarding, sorry, their brands. And I have like, a, uh, like an explanation. What is a red client? What is an orange client? What is a green client? And like a red client is a client who is doing, if they're in like our regular service where we charge an average of like 3K a month, they're doing less than 7K in profit per month because or, or 5K or something like that. Because then it's like red flag. They're barely making money after they pay us. They're not responsive. They have negative comments. We are spending more than we're supposed to. We're spending less than we're supposed to. We are not following the strategy, et cetera. So there's a very clear explanation. You go and you, you look at the explanations of the different colors, and then you go and you answer some questions. Say, you know, client A that you're managing right now, what are they? So this is like a self-diagnosis. And you're like, okay, they're like a, an orange because they're not responsive, but they're profitable and, and all this stuff. Okay, cool. And then, so as you scale, usually what it starts looking at is you start building pods. And a pod is like, when you were small, it's you and you have like five employees or something and they're doing the work for you. So you just start replicating that. It becomes a manager who knows how to manage people and then has like a bunch of employees, like six maximum under them. And then you have one pod, two pod, three pod, four pod, and then probably each four pods, they have a manager that manages the pod leaders. And then you keep replicating that. So everything, it needs to kind of flow through those levels of like the people self-report Orange and red immediately flow up to the pod leader. The pod leader starts checking. And then all of the orange and reds from all of the different pod leaders flow up to the you know, pod director. And then the pod director is like, do you have a clear plan of action? And in the clientele dashboard, we're saying, okay, orange, you know, why is it orange? And what's your plan of, of action to overcome that orange? So that's another thing that we're implementing. So it's like, first of all, feedback loop is simple as, uh, you know, hey, AJ, like, are you happy? Like, is there anything I can do better? And if you ask that enough times and you change enough times, that's the biggest hack. If you ever want to have like an amazing relationship with anyone, you just ask them, how can I be better in this relationship? So that's number one. Number two is the, the NPS. NPS is quick and simple because they just, you, you know, they, they don't have to think too much. They're going off of like, yes, I'm happy. No, I'm not happy. And then from there, it's the client health dashboard. And then from there, we also pull all of our, you know, clients' numbers. So every business is going to be different. Like your business, it's going to be a lot more like characteristic, but maybe you're judging how well we're doing. You're like, okay, I'm helping me know the outbound sales. So how is his like outbound messages over time versus open positive responses versus, you know? So for us, we're like tracking revenue, we're tracking spend, we're tracking, you know, return on ad spend and profit over time. And so I can very quickly in one dashboard, look at everyone and say, who's trending downwards? And then I highlight those people who's trending downwards. Let's highlight those people. Hey guys, what's going on with those people? Why are they trending downwards? Oh, it's seasonality. And the client is, you know, we've communicated, they're happy. Like you as a person have to prove and, and make a case. They're definitely good. Don't worry. You know, I promise you based on these things that happen, the client says they're happy. The client understands, et cetera, et cetera. You know, here you go. Now there's going to be a certain point where generally we should not take brands that aren't making uh, four times more than our retainer in, as profit per month. Like if they're making four times our retainer uh, in profit per month, then if their profit goes a little bit down, goes a little bit up, it's not a big deal, right? 
all of us will eventually take brands that are low in profit and they'll end up churning because they just can't afford us. Mm. This is something that's you can't, you know, avoid. The only way to avoid it is just to to not take these people or to have like a different service. Like we had to create a second service, which was like half the cost or a little bit under half the cost to accommodate those people that didn't have that much profit. We gave them like a really good service. We just cut down on like communication and things like that to be able to still provide them something really good and, and help them when they're still starting and they can't afford it. So these are things you think about. And then finally, we have a client standard and the client standard is almost like a law of like how you treat clients. If a client sends a message, you have to have the last word which means if you say thank you, I have to say you're welcome. You say anytime I say thanks again, doesn't matter. Like the PPC manager, whoever's on like the agency side, they have to have the last word. Any message needs to be responded in a certain amount of time for business hours, have a business day, et cetera, et cetera. If a client performance is declining, you need to do this. You need to update them every day. You need to send them a recommendation on their conversion rate every day and so on and so forth. So we built these client standards and they're part of any person's scorecard. So if a pod leader finds that you're not following the client standard, they're going to dock it in your scorecard. And if you hit a certain like, okay, it's a one to five. If you have a, a score of two on any of the things in the scorecard, you get a warning. You have a two consecutively, you get a, you, you get a second warning. And then if you keep having a two and you're not you know, correcting uh, that thing, you'll get let go. That's how it is. To have the power to let go people, you need to have a very strong talent acquisition strategy. Mm -hmm. You need to have like a very good learning management system and onboarding. So you're like, I'll fire you tomorrow because I can have someone to replace you in exactly 30 days. I don't care. I want my team to feel like they're loved and valuable, but like you want everyone to know, like you will have an amazing life working at Trivium if you follow this stuff. Like if you embody the core values and if you provide serious value to the, to the brands that you work with, you're going to have an amazing life. You're going to take time off. You're going to have long holiday, like vacations, all this stuff. Life is great. As soon as you don't, just know you can be replaced. So don't think that you can get away with, with anything, you know, because like, you know, you're like, you're managing and you're driving revenue. Someone else can manage your revenue in like in a heartbeat. So that also uh, protects you. So we've been able to have like a three and a half percent churn at the rate we're at, which is, I mean, I'm trying to be under 2%. You know, the industry standard is about 10. We've been able to be like uh, pretty small, like three, three and a half percent by doing all these things. And I'll tell you this, like we still make mistakes and it's okay. You know, uh, um, we'll just have to get better and better and be tighter and tighter. Just if you notice that your churn is going up, your churn rate is going up. There's mainly two types of churn that I see. We took on the wrong client you know, we go back to the sales team. And sometimes I know this, that sometimes you guys will take clients because you need the money. Okay. It is what it is. Like, uh, I can't tell you like, uh, I'm like a perfect man in sometimes in certain positions, I would, I would do it too. Like, you're like, okay, we need the money. Like let, we'll do our best. Anyways. Like the thing that allows me to sleep well at night is yes, maybe I shouldn't have taken you because of X, Y, and Z, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, like that, I will help you more than any other agency out there. So that's why I can sleep, you know, well at night. It's like, maybe, yes, you're not the right fit because your profit's not that much and you're, you're going to maybe last only two or three months, but who else are you going to go to that's going to do a better job than me? No one. And that's why I can sleep a little bit better. So I know that sometimes you're going to get those clients that you shouldn't have taken. It's okay. 
but look at your churn from the clients that you made mistakes on. And if that number is not like decreasing or, or steady or, or, you know, you start seeing it increase, then I would say, okay, let's start plugging the holes before we grow more. You can obviously like replace the clients that you've lost and, and maintain like the same amount of, of revenue. But I would, you know, advise against growing anymore until you plug those holes. Because it, it's a hole is like, as you, when you add more water pressure, more is going to come out. So the sooner that you can plug it, keep the same water pressure, you know, plug the hole, fix the issues, identify, the, is it because of a bad employee? Identify that a churn is going to happen like 60 days before the churn happens. And like using agreements and, you know, minimum four months commitment, six months commitment, 12 months, that stuff is not good. That's only going to hurt your reputation. It should really be like these people are staying with us because we're providing a good service. It's a balance. Like it's, you know, how much can you push the speed of your growth while maintaining that quality? The second that you see the quality decreases, I'm not saying slow down, just keep it steady, fix the issues. The issues are fixed. Now you can speed up again. And then you're, you're experiencing a little bit more and then you flatline. And the hardest thing, man, is to flatline. Like we've had to flatline a couple of times. And when I say flatline, I just mean like, flat growth. Like if I lost three clients, uh, we have 20 clients that want to work with us, but I can only take three. And it's so painful to tell them like, we can only take you in June because it's like, shit, man, like there's thousands and thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars in revenue that I have to say no to, but you choose, you make a choice every day. Like, do you want to become that agency that grew and, and just said, yo, let's take the money and we'll figure out the problems later or the ones that are going to maintain the highest quality standard, even at the cost of slower growth, but in the long run, it's going to pay off. For sure, man. Slower growth, but long run, pay off in the long run. It's definitely taking a long-term view, but that was epic. There was like, that was like a whole masterclass in just account management itself. I think- A whole masterclass in churn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, but what I, there's a lot of things I'd love to highlight about that. I think first that you have so much data and KPIs around each step of it, right? So you have all those leading indicators because- a lot of times people will just only realize the problem when it's too late if they're not tracking things, right? Like, okay, we've lost a lot of clients, churn is down. But you're able to identify those problems really quickly because you put systems in place, which really like at 130 clients, that's the only way you can stay sane and manage it all, right? It's, it all comes down to the systems, processes, and, and tracking. But what you build, that sounds like incredible. I'm sure it took a lot of time to refine that, but um, I think- Yeah, it's, it's always being refined. That's the other thing and that I want to add. Like you're saying like um, you, you can, you have these KPIs that can tell uh, that a client's going to churn you should learn a lesson from every client churn. We have this like uh, running uh, database. Every single time a client churns, we do an offboarding interview. We ask why, we go look at their data, we analyze everything. We're like, is there any way we could have anticipated this, this was gonna happen? And sometimes it's like, yeah, the revenue was doing this. So, mm. okay, one of the things is trending down revenue. Another thing is like, okay, everything was, was fine. They were growing a little bit, but their profit compared to our retainer was only, 2x, not 4x. So it's like we slowly keep adding these characteristics. So the next time we see a client, immediately we're like, okay, we know what's going on here. Sometimes I'm like, listen, man, right now we're charging you 3K a month. You're making five and a half K a month in profits. I feel like that's taking too much from your profits. What if I put you on the 1500 a month plan? The service is going to be the same, just the communication is going to be less. You're not going to get all of these extra reports and you don't need that right now. You just need more money. So more money that you can put in your pocket so you can reinvest in the brand instead of you know putting it with me. We're going to give you the same level of growth, 
you don't need all the attention of, uh, and the communication at, at this level. But when you hit like this mark, like the 10K mark, you know, we'll bring you back to the full service. And things like that have taken where a client would churn, you know, in three months, they're now with us for nine months. They stayed with us for three months. And then for four months, we put them on the lower plan until we grew them to 10, 12K. And then we put them back on the normal plan. And now they're growing and without any any uh, strain. So those are the things that, that will help uh, is like, just when you can see what's going to happen, you can also, there's so many things you can do to take action on. Yeah, awesome. No, there's a lot of good tactics in there. Right? But I love how you started and emphasized the like the value and the mindset in the first place, because I think that's where it all has to come from, right? It's just getting getting everyone on the same page, right? And having people go above and beyond because of that. One thing I really liked as well is how when you talked about the talent acquisition system, because that was a big mistake I made on my journey with managing people and building teams is like, I've definitely made the mistake of just relying on someone that was really, really good to just kind of take care of it. But then as soon as they leave, you're screwed. And if you know that, right, like if you don't have the hiring, recruiting, training and onboarding systems in place, they have all the power, right? Because like, I've always noticed whenever, whenever I make that mistake with someone, like I would be too lenient with them, right? Because I know like I need them and that's not a good position to be in, right? So when you have those systems in place for hiring and managing and training, it's like you, you can, you can maintain those high standards that you're talking about, right? Because you know, they're like, I don't need this person. I'd like to keep them but I don't need them. And I can, if something's going wrong, I can make a change, right? If you ever want someone to shape up real quick, get someone that is a replacement for their position. Don't fire the person, but say, hey, here you go. This happened very, very recently. Like we had someone who was underperforming and I'm like, okay, cool. You know, we really needed that person. So I didn't want to fire her. So I'm like, cool. Let me go find someone else. I found someone else and they came in and they were hungry and they were like, yeah. they, and they had all the things that that person was missing that I called that person out on. But it's like, I couldn't fire her because of like, we really needed her. And dude, not only, you know, like this guy started performing really well, her performance like quadrupled because she's like, well, shit, like now there's a clear, I need to perform at least as good as this person, you know, or else like it's my job. And this person's clearly capable. I learned this from, um, I don't know if you had Eddie Malouf on the podcast from four media, but he calls it seat pressure. And basically it's, uh, I think in formula one, like there's like two drivers and like, there's always like a, another driver. Like if you don't perform as a driver, mm -hmm. they're going to put that other driver in. So it's the yeah. same thing. He's like, if, if you see anyone like in a critical position like that, not performing, bring his replacement and keep them both. And either you're just going to have that person like out and the replacement replace, or that person's going to shape up real quick. Cause it's like, I don't have the luxury of like, you know, thinking I was the only one that could do this. Yeah. It brings out that uh, competitive spirit, right? Kind of mm -hmm. takes people out of maybe their complacency that someone gets after being in a role for a while and getting comfortable. Right. Definitely. Um, that's awesome. Well, on a final note, before we wrap up on that topic of, you know, managing team leadership, any other learning lessons that you you can share with the audience around just leadership or how you built your team in general? One thing that I wasn't doing was rounding up my like team leaders or, you know, whoever my core team is, that's like a direct report to me and meeting with them every uh, week. So that's one thing that I would have done like way earlier is I would have written down my core values. Uh, your core values should take about one hour for you to, if you have no core values, you can create them in one hour. Hours is like, you know, take full ownership and full accountability, progress over perfection, 1% better every day, fail fast and fail forward always lead with value and how you do one thing is how you do everything. Those are our core values. I sat down for uh, one hour and I said, 
what embodies me? Like when, when, when you read these things, you're like, this is Mina, because I'm my company, obviously. And this is all like MMA stuff, right? Stuff that I learned from MMA. It was like, you know, progress over perfection, 1% better every day, all of this stuff, you know, I didn't want to say no excuses, but it's, it's like full accountability. And um, it, so once I had those core values, every call, I started referring to anything in the company to the core values. And once you start tying everything to the core values, that really becomes like the soul of your company. And, and I think when, once a company has a soul, it's like very, very powerful. And then the second thing is really meeting with all the leadership team so that everyone's aligned. A lot of times as you get bigger, the biggest issue is the miscommunication more than anything else. There's all of these little small issues, but the biggest one is miscommunication. So having a clear like line of communication is crucial. Other tips about leadership, the earlier you do this, the better. Everything in your business, like go to Miro.com, M-I-R-O.com and have yeah. like for each division, just have like a, a mirror board and any process that's involved in that division, write it down. You don't even need to get into like too many SOPs and stuff like that if you don't want to. But at least if someone comes in and says, what do you do in your sales division? You're like, open up the mirror board and you're like, okay, when a lead comes, we do this. This is how we do that. This is what, you know, this is how we follow up with the lead. And it's just like a simple flow so that anyone who comes in really understands this. Then the next step for, uh, from that is, okay, what are all the SOPs that are required to fulfill these flows according to like the right company standards. Having that documentation is going to be very, very valuable. What else, man, in terms of leadership? Yeah, KPIs. This is something that I only implemented recently and it hurt me a lot. From day one, whatever size you are now, it's good to do it right now. Every single role in the company should have very clear KPIs. Like here's what they're supposed to be doing every month and you know the, the month and the, the expected expected KPI. And if that person does these things, they're doing a good enough job. Number one, your employees need it. They need to know like, what do I need to do so my boss is happy? You know, sometimes like a few months will go by and I'm like, man, this person is not performing well. And then my mentor will be like, why, how? Like, what are their KPIs? And I'm like, okay, I can't answer that. It's just like, I feel like they're not doing shit. He's like, well, do you think it's because they don't have their KPIs? So. Then I'm like, okay, cool. Everyone in the company, every single employee in the company needs to have a very clear set of KPIs. And then month over month, like I'm documenting, this is your, your KPI, this is how you did. And you have a chance like for the things that you're not hitting to correct it, but you shouldn't be not hitting multiple things. And if you are, it also helps you like very early on, okay, we need to bring someone else to replace that person. Those are kind of the main things that I would uh, touch on. Awesome, man, really good stuff. There's a ton more I'd love to dive into, but I know uh, we're getting to the time here. Thanks so much, man. This was a really, really awesome conversation. And um, yeah, really appreciate you coming on to share more of your journey with us and the biggest learning lessons. So um, yeah, where can people find you if they want to connect with you online or? Instagram at the Mina Elias, LinkedIn, M-I-N-A uh, space E-L-I-S, Mina Elias. Or if you want to check out our website, it's triviumco.com, T-R-I-V-I-U-M-C-O.com.